You're listening to Skull Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran And Alan. How are you, lads? What's the story? Not much story. Just a... Uh... Big shakeups in the magic world the last few weeks. New standard with bands in non-standard formats, and we mm-hmm. have a new limited set. Yeah, a lot of a lot of new things are happening. It's uh, it's it is quite wonderful. Uh, and last night I was in a friend's house, and I discovered the joys of playing Monopoly. Because you know, they, everyone gives Monopoly a hard time, but it turns out if you actually follow the actual rules and don't play any house rules, it's, it's just a very very fun and interactive game. Is it really? Yes, I was. I am as surprised as you are, Kieran. Yeah. I thought the problem with not Monopoly was that like once play once one player starts winning, they essentially just like snowball, and there's not really much way to stop them. Yeah, cause I I found that kind of the winning ace kind of was felt like it was gradual and, and kind of more scaled because I suppose like the one thing we did was it was like, this is like a new edition of Monopoly that we just bought, um, and like before as we we're opening it, I was saying, oh, we should just you know we should make sure we don't play any house rules because I heard it before the house rules rule Monopoly. Then when you take out the instructions, the first thing it says in like big bold letters is uh don't play any house rules. Don't, you know, pile all, you know, some people pile all their money, all the money that, that gets like income tax and money that goes towards community chest. Mm-hmm. A lot of people kind of put all that to a side and whoever, whoever lands on free parking wins all that money. That's like a really common house rule, which basically just destroys the game because it just keeps a constant influx of, of, um, of, of uh, income, uh, you know, into the monopoly economy. That makes whereas, sense. Uh, yeah, where it was like, like some, because it, it, it comes to a point where let's say if, if um, yeah, people are buying a properties. Someone lands a property that they don't want to buy. It goes up to auction, and like if you have, let's say, if it's a green, if it's green property, if you have another green property, you're going to value that a lot higher. But then people are going to try and outbid you to get it off you. But you're kind of it's almost like in poker. You're trying to you know size your 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 bid so um so you're not bidding too much or you're bid enough to take the property. So I ended up crippling. I ended up crippling myself early on when I overpaid for something, um, and then was like struggling to to, to catch up. But uh, it turned out it was a far more complicated game than I ever imagined. Did you know it was created? The original version of Monopoly was created by uh, like a left-wing progressive uh, who created it in order to show that like monopolies and like hoarding land was a bad thing. It was supposed <laughs> to illustrate like the you know the dangers of letting letting a few people own lots of property. Well, yeah, that's that's certainly clear. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it true. was a very good job for trying that. Wow. Well, um, it was originally called the Landlord's Game. You are oh, wow. listening to Silver Dog, uh, Ireland's first and foremost Monopoly competitive Monopoly podcast. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I knew, in this new one you mentioned Silver Dog. In this new one, they have a uh, new trinkets, you know, added to the you know, the original trinkets. I, I believe that's something that they do regularly. But there's like some that they always keep. I think I think the dog they always keep. Yeah, there, there's some there that were there for a while, but like. I thought the whole point of the trinkets, the original trinkets was it's like to represent uh, poor people and rich people. Like there's a shoe and there's an iron, and a Yorkshire Terrier and there's a, a boat. I never, um, never really a kind of got that. Yeah, no expense was spared. <laughs> there you go. Dinosaurs. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's get into a bit of magic here. Um, sure. We are going to have a slightly different show this week but uh we're gonna just kick it off with news as we as we usually do so we'll we'll come into a few different segments as we go on um so yeah we'll just kick it off with news the big news of the week is uh kci clark clark clan ironworks has been banned in modern because it's so tough to pronounce they just got rid of it 
Huzzah. Yes. That's it. <laughs> the same way, uh, that's the same reason why Shaharazad is also banned. Because yeah, of that very exactly. same reason. Any other ba- cards that we could ban under that uh, under that kind of um, criteria? Yeah. Any standard cards that could be banned for, for, for poor name? Terramander. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I mean, Silent P, that's not too bad. Yeah. But anyway, anyways, with KCI being banned is good news, uh, I, I feel. This is a positive thing to happen to the game. Yeah, I think so as well. I agree. It was a very silly deck. I was uh, when it when the first came out, I kind of saw how powerful it was very quickly, and I was like, oh, maybe I should buy into this. And I literally didn't buy into it because I was like, I think this is just going to get banned in six months' time. And it didn't get banned in six months' time. It took what a year and a half or something like that for it to get banned. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, it was it was growing still. popularity since then. Yeah. What's the the card that really like was... kind of um, pushed it over the edge was the the three mana. 3 2 from, from like Kaladesh or Aether Revolt, wasn't it? Scrap Trawler, yeah. Scrap Trawler, yeah. Scrap Trawler, yeah. Yeah, the card's very silly. And a lot of people were saying they could ban that and just weaken it. But, you, you know, it's like eventually just another card is going to get printed that will do a similar job. And then the deck is just back to where it was. And, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's not fun to, to play against. It's not fun to watch coverage. It's, it's too, it attacks on too narrow an angle, really. Like it's, it's really, really hard to interact with the deck meaningfully. Um, like you, it's pretty much like stony silence or bust, right? Yeah, that's it. And I feel like it's it's because it's such a linear, powerful strategy. Usually, very linear, powerful strategies in modern are easily exploitable or easy to have tech against. But like, I I've lost games where I've had like um, a relic open and uh, a surgical in my hand, and I'm like, yeah, I have all this ready to ready to attack them when when they when they start going off. But then they just don't give you a window to attack, and it's um, the fact that if you can have the correct tech ready to go in your hand. Mana to pay for it, um, but it's just not enough. It feels it feels rough. They can respond to surgical, and they can even respond to extirpate, which has split second. Because uh, since KCI is a mana ability, if you extirpate, which has split second, which does the same thing as surgical extraction, they can just sack an yeah. artifact to KCI to get a another scrap trawler trigger and uh, and return the thing you're targeting from from their graveyard, even though you're right, so well with split second. That is ridiculous. It's like I don't know. I feel like I'm. Um, I think there's a joke somewhere of like the fastest things in the universe. There's light, the speed of light, the speed of split second cards, uh, the speed of mana abilities, and then um, the speed of turning over a morph. Yeah, is that the right like, order? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure that turning over a morph is faster than a mana ability. Maybe not. Maybe not the same. I don't we know. can do it. You can't respond to either of them. So yeah, anytime. Well, no, you need you need yeah. priority either of really? those things, right? Yeah, I think so. No, I, I think you can do it at any time. It says any time. I don't know. You're God, the judge here, Kieran. I'm looking this up. <laughs> Actually, I suppose what Kieran's looking up. Another board game we played yesterday was, um, I know we're going off topic, sorry. We played uh, uh, Pandemic, which is a very fun game. But uh, basically, we came across a rules disagreement, which uh, we ended up resolving by uh, me describing to everybody how the stack works in Magic. And we just said, here, we don't know how these two cards interact. We'll just um, act like, we'll, we'll just play on as if these cards work like they do in Magic. Yeah, uh, I've done that before as well. Yeah, I've, I've done the same. Game. Yeah, I think I think Magic is so good for that. Just so you can just import its rules into other games because the rules are so perfect. Um, and now the game is even more perfect with a KCI band. So true. true. And so you do true. you do need priority, by the way, to 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 flip a morph. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'd be. That'd Mystery solved. <laughs> um, yeah. So KCI is banned, and the good, or I suppose the kind of the more interesting thing about this was that there was a fairly detailed article posted. Um, by uh, Ian, what's his second name? Ian uh, Duke. Ian Duke, yeah. Ian Duke. Uh, Ian Duke of R and D, 
and they've been pretty good about this recently. Whenever they do make a ban, they always give like quite reasoned um, dis- uh, description of, of why they banned it and what they did beforehand to look into it. And yeah, they, they kind of suggested that they, they looked at banning some other uh, less key cards in the deck rather than kind of the namesake card but ultimately decided that they'd rather not do splash damage to other decks and that they would rather just uh, knock KCI in the head. It's just got such kind of a, like we mentioned with the mana abilities, like you could weird timing windows because because you're generating mana with the KCI, you can announce that you're casting a spell and then do things at faster than instant speed in response to that or whatever. So yeah, they just thought that there were enough things there that they, that they wanted to ban it. And obviously artifact things are things that are like high on the on the watch list because they have to be very careful about every single artifact that they print and they're all colorless so they can be played and you know played very easily in lots of decks um some of the other cards that they said that they were keeping an eye on were ancient stirrings and mox opal um and that's kind of interesting that they mentioned that they were looking at other cards yeah, it is. I was surprised that they didn't mention that they were looking at keeping an eye on Faithless Looting. I know it's from a different deck and the, the article was about KCI, but that's just the one other card that comes to my mind that is just uh, kind of one of these other cheap cards that's that's doing like basically like unfair stuff in modern. Yeah, I suppose at least like Faithless Looting you can interact with to some extent with you know, because I suppose it's a card disadvantage if you're not flashing enough back. Um, yeah, yeah. I suppose is. there is more, yeah. And I, I suppose this way, at least I see, I, I feel like um, Ancient Stirrings and um, Mox are like, are far more um, disgusting cards. Yeah, just on power level. Like, I mean, they talk about it in terms of deck building restrictions. Like, obviously, Ancient Stirrings in the right deck is like more powerful than Ponder is, which is banned in modern. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's the, it's the fact that you have to, you know, you have to build your deck around it. But then it's like, maybe you just, you built your deck around KCI and then you just get to play Ancient Stirrings for free. You know what I mean? It could it's mm. like there's two ways of looking at it but yeah i mean ancient stirrings and mox opal i think mox opal especially like people would be in an uproar if it got banned because like so many people you know have had their affinity deck for years and it's seen as such such like a uh pillar of the format and stuff like that so i think yeah, they I would feel like yeah they'd want to avoid that one i think yeah, yeah. I, I, feel like it's, I, I think it is very easy just to you know lay out reasons why ancient stirrings and and, and mox are, are bad cards that shouldn't be that shouldn't be in the game but i guess uh i guess from Ian's article, he kind of says that they want to that they were happy with the way modern was before KCI's uh, you know rise in power. So even though you know we might disagree as to or people may disagree that you know, modern was good back then, you know modern was good say a year and a half ago. Um, you know it's like the the R&D team uh, you know want modern to be you know that kind of same that kind of same level format where basically every deck is doing something stupid. Yeah, pretty much. And it's definitely like the timing of this is no accident as well. This is just before the Pro Tour, so they don't want every you know half half the matches they show on coverage to have a kci player in them when the pro tour happens well, what's the pro tour oh my apologies the uh magic fest it's called a pro tour it's yeah. <laughs> mythic championship mythic championship there we go but is, is the is the next mythic championship modern yeah it is right isn't it am i mistaken on that i thought it was. I, I honestly don't know their messaging around these things is very poor these days you guys talk i'll give it a google yeah I don't know. I might be going to it, so I should figure it out. Yeah, um, <laughs> should probably uh, should probably know that one. I don't um, know. It'll be yeah. Because the RPTQs were modern for what that's worth. Or yeah, the RPTQs to qualify for this season. Um, yeah, you're you're probably be. right. Then it probably is modern. Yeah, no, apparently it is standard. I just checked it out. It's uh, Mythic Championship Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, apparently it's standard on when I draft. Mythic Champ Championship Cleveland sounds so epic. Yeah. 
those, yeah. Well, actually, it's just called Mythic Championship 1, but it's part of Magic Fest Cleveland. Right. So, God, yeah, I don't know. Very complicated. Because they, they announced, right, last year, when they announced the change to six Pro Tours a year, they announced that the Pro Tours weren't going to be called the set names anymore because they were going to have some Pro Tours that weren't tied to sets. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they were going to yeah. instead go back to calling them by the city names like they used to do. Yeah. But now also that they've they gone back to... F- is it go- still going to be four Mythic Championships a year? No. So, uh, I don't know. Six, is it? I'm not sure. Is it going to be six, but like two of them are on Arena? Is that what it is? Oh, do they differentiate between tabletop and Mythic Championships? Uh, honestly, we need someone from Wizards yeah, to I... chime in here and like clear up some confusion because it's getting hard to keep track of what's going on. <laughs> The wiki yeah, says yeah. there will be a total of 10 Mythic Championship tournaments plus other partner run events, which will have a combined prize pool of 10 million. But that's not on, that's just on a wiki. That's not on like the official site. 10? We still don't even know how to wrong. join PBTQs. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I haven't looked into what the road to the Mythic Qualifier, what Mythic Championship will look like because uh, yeah, we don't know what the road to the actual qualifiers will look like first. I think whoever spends the most gems on Arena gets an invite. Alright, I got it. I'm <laughs> qualified, so. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been assuming. No, I've actually, I think I've spent, um, I think I've spent in the region of 50 euro. On gems? I put I put 50 quid into it uh, when Ravnica came out. The Sorry, no, I actually, I, I tell a lie, it was 70 because I know, what did I do? I bought, um, I was like hard up for Hard up for wild cards at one stage last set, and decided to put in fifty quid to get a uh, like a, a booster box equivalent or whatever. So I just chose whichever set that I like needed the actual cards from, and was like, yeah, maybe I'll open the cards, and plus I get a few wild cards. Um, and then at the release of Ravnica Allegiance, I bought like twenty euro worth of gems just so I could draft, and then I just kept rolling that into more drafts. Nice. Well. The advantages of being good at magic. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, KCI. Um, no, but <laughs> it is important to uh, to know that this kind of unlocks the format a bit because I think that KCI was very strong and people had to keep it in mind. It was not a deck that a lot of people were playing. It's never going to be a deck that a lot of people play. Those kind of combo decks, a lot of people just don't play them because people don't like them um, and they're hard to play, or at least they have a reputation for being hard to play. Um but yeah, I, I also do think that, I think Kieran's point was great about um, it, the fact that they're not keeping an eye on Faithless suiting. Um, like, y- you need to keep a... Th- there's a deck building cost to be paid for Faithless suiting, but there are enough cards now that like are okay with being discarded or like actively like being discarded that I think it's definitely a card to keep an eye on. Uh, maybe Goblin Lore, not, not Goblin Lore, uh, Burning Inquiry is probably a one that would more likely hit a ban just because it's so punishing although it's it's a symmetrical effect so maybe not i don't know yeah i think like that one i could see being banned just because it's so outside of like the design philosophy of like modern magic like it doesn't feel like a card that should be in modern what it does yeah that's, 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 it, it can just turn game it can just end games you know on the spot basically yeah yeah just probably more, your lands. more of that deck again now too right there was, I think there was a little less hollow one when KCI was everywhere. It just yeah. maybe wasn't fast enough. Yeah, and we do have um, we do have Phoenix now taking advantage of Fatal Suiting. Yeah, it's really expensive that card. <laughs> yeah, the, God, the Phoenix. Like, yeah, it's like twenty euro plus, I think. No, I was gonna, I, thought, I was, I was gonna say, oh, you can get it on the battlefield for zero mana most of the time. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Different kind of expensive. Yeah. Have you seen the Legacy deck that plays Buried Alive? 
What what is no. buried alive? So you search your deck for three creatures, put them in your graveyard for two and a black. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's just like a like a kind of delvery deck, and you just it's like Grixis with buried alive. So you just get three phoenixes, put them in your yard, and then you know cast a few cantrips and get them all back. Play dark rituals and stuff. And like buried alive itself is a spell, so just need two more, right? Yeah, exactly. It cancels the first spell. Yeah, so you can go ritual buried alive, just one other thing or whatever. That sounds pretty yeah. sick. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, they also mentioned some, some, or Ian Duke also mentioned some points about Pauper and that they're kind of keeping an eye on the interaction between Gush and Foil. So Foil is a card that just got printed into Pauper. I think it's like, I think, is it two blue blue counterspell? But you can discard an island. In it, in, and then play it for free. An island and another card. Yeah, I think you have to discard an island and a blue card or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. You're discarding two things. So basically, what you can do an is island card and another. Yeah. Card, what yeah. what you can do is um you can have two islands in play. Then you can instant speed whatever your opponent's casting. You can instant speed cast gush, return the two islands to your hand, and then discard the two islands to play foil for free. So that's kind of a awkward interaction. Um, yeah. So it's good that they're keeping an eye on that. Yeah, it is. I think they're they're they care a little bit more about Popper now because you know the way the they have the format challenges on MTGO currently. So you can like by playing Popper, you can like qualify for uh, for the Mythic Championship, right? Yeah. At the moment, if you get enough leaderboard points or whatever. So they're probably going to be taking Popper a little bit more seriously and, and looking at the ban lists and stuff like that. Didn't they recently announce that there's going to be a, a, a paper pauper mythic qualifier? Oh, I don't know. And yeah, there's, it is, yeah. There's, there's been a big push recently to get a, a pauper GP as well. So pauper is definitely kind of rising in popularity. That's good. Good format. It's, it's fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so um, that's the KCI ban. Let's move on to our next topic, which is uh, talking a, li- a little bit about RNA Limited, so Ravnica Allegiance Limited. Um, we've all kind of done at least some amount of limited play in Ravnica Allegiance. Um, we can kind of go through our through our stats here. Uh, I'll give mine. So I've done all my all my playing of Ravnica Allegiance Limited on Arena. Um, I mean, I'm pretty just pretty much just out of MTGO at this point, so I'm just doing everything on Arena, which I understand is skewed at the moment. Uh, only traditional draft is available on Arena for Ravnica Allegiance, so that means that it's uh, best of well, no, it's best of three, but it's all bots. Mm-hmm. You're drafting against bots, um, so and the sealed is best of one, so. Both of those are going to be a bit skewed from what you would experience in real life. but So that's just my disclaimer on what I've done so far. Um, so I have drafted... I've done 11 drafts and one sealed. I've been Gruul like five times <laughs> looking here. And I've been like yeah. Simic or like splashing like splashing a little bit of blue or a little bit of red in Simic deck another two times, I think. Yeah. And I've been Rakdos once, Orzov, Splash Blue twice, I think. Um, no, sorry, I've been Rakdos twice. And I've been done a Gates deck once, really, like a, a heavy Gates deck once. Um, and then I did one Sealed, which was Azorius, Splash Black. Mm. And one of my Rakdos drafts, I, I started. I decided to go like really heavy into, like, let's see how aggro I can be. And I just picked up a lot of one-drops. 
plus Cavalcade of Calamity, which is the one on a red enchantment that says whenever you attack with a creature of power one or less, it do- deals one damage to the opponent. And I had Judith in, Judith in that draft as well. Still only went 3-2, so meh. Yeah, it seems like you like Gruel a lot. I've been Gruel like only twice out of about eight or nine drafts, I think. Yeah. Which I guess is about average. Yeah, it seems good. How's your win rate uh, with those, uh, Wolf? Um, let me have a look here. So, some some one twos. I, I, I went one two twice, and both of them were Gruel decks. And I went five wins on only one here, I think. No, twice. I went five wins twice. One of them was a Simic Splash Red, and one of them was Azorius. And then I went 4-2 at Gruel once, 3-2 uh, Rakdos once, 3-2 with the Gates deck, 3-2 with another Gruel deck, 3-2 with that Rakdos deck, I went 4-3 with the Esper deck and Sealed. Yeah, um, I did like Gruel. I was like really attracted to a lot of the green cards because they were just kind of beefy. And um, I think... I, I don't know. I, I really like Mammoth Spider. Uh, I was really liking. I was liking the ability to get Rhythm of the Wild so easily. I think the bots just like don't prioritize Rhythm of the Wild. And like I had like I'd say about three of those Gruel drafts. I had two Rhythm of the Wilds. It was kind of crazy. Yeah, that card's really good. It'd be a, both of my Gruel decks that went well as well. I think yeah, I had two Rhythm of the Wilds, and I, I think I got them quite late as well. So I would agree with that. I think the bots in general don't draft very well um like they they don't take gates nearly high enough so you, you just get all the gates you want like super late um and i feel like the the last few drafts i've done it's like people have caught on to that and like everyone is just playing these like four color gates decks now because they realize they can just do that drafting against the bots yeah you can you can legitimately just ha- like your last six picks of every pack can be a gate if you want yeah which is really dumb and like the last last two drafts I've had, this is one thing that's really turning me off the format order in it, to be honest, is like I've played against like uh, like turn four gate colossus from like two different opponents, you know, like back to back games, which is just like seems like it should be something that's hard to get if you were drafting against people, because people I think would value the gates a little bit higher. But it's but I think if you first pick a gate colossus or whatever in uh, against the bots, you're just like incredibly consistently gonna be able to to like power it out really early. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that's kind of struck me about the format is that the uh, in general the the gate payoff cards are really good, um, and in arena it seems quite easy to get them. But in paper, I think that's going to be harder. I don't know. I haven't done a paper draft, so I can't really say. But like things like the the Gatebreaker Ram has been really good. Gatebreaker Colossus, you can just cast it for like you said, four mana, five mana, fairly reliably. Um, the sneak. The, the gateway sneak, the 1-3 that you draw a card when it hits the player and then it's unblockable if you play a gate and then gates ablaze deals X damage to to all creatures where that's the number of gates you control. All of them are just quite good. Um, the problem there is as well is that like the aggro decks aren't particularly good in my opinion so like you can't really punish people from just playing like three gates in a row in the first three turns like you're just not going to have like a really powerful curve to like punish people who are doing that so it's it definitely seems like the place to be is to just be in like kind of a a more defensive gate deck yeah i I think it it can happen like you you can get that deck i think there are gruel decks that curve out like solidly from from two to five or six and they just smash you with big creatures every turn but even even still, even against that curve, 
um, like a gate colossus is going to be bigger than everything Gruul is doing, so they'll either have to stop attacking or start making jump attacks. Uh, other things that can happen are things like Orzov or Rakdos uh, end up with some flyers. Orzov more commonly has the flyers, of course, but, uh, but Rakdos even still has a couple of flyers. Um, and yeah, in general, I think flyers have been very good in this format. Flyers are always good, but I think they're extra good here. And there's a lot of high toughness, I noticed as well. So a lot of creatures bouncing. Um, that has made the flyers and like some of the, like the Chillbringer, the blue common, is really good because you'll just get into a stalled, a stalled game on the ground. And then Chillbringer is just a big enough body in the air that locks down an attacker for like a turn cycle. Yep, definitely that card is awesome. Um, it's as you said, it's easy to be the gate deck, but it's also pretty easy to just be like three color, just be like a guild plus plus a splash of whatever whatever powerful card you you see. Um, you also don't need like loads of gates if you don't want them. Um, and I just I wanted to try, or we wanted to try something a little bit different, talking about the format here. So uh, me and Kieran have given our best surprise and our biggest disappointment cards. Uh, Al hasn't played much limited, so he's leaving this to us. Uh, but for me, my yes, best surprise has been Ill-Gotten Inheritance, which is the four mana black enchantment that deals one damage to the opponent on the upkeep and you gain a life, and then it has six mana sack it to do four and you gain four. Uh, this has just been super powerful. It enables Spectacle. Uh, because it gains you life, it doesn't just do the damage. Uh, it's actually, you know, it, it can basically act as uh absorb of of what their creatures are doing to you every turn you like you're not actually taking damage or taking as much damage it's like almost giving them their creatures minus power uh it wins you the game when you're at parity it wins you the game faster when you're ahead it wins you or it saves you or stabilizes you when you're behind so i think it's just uh it's just been a great card and it's a common it's trivially easy to get two of these and i've had decks with four yeah, I've played against a lot of opponents that have had multiples of these, and it, it gets really tough to fight. Like, I've been in, like, Azorius, and, um, you know, as you said, like, the ground gets into a big stall or whatever, and, like, norm in a normal game, if this card didn't exist, I would expect to be able to win with a Flyer, like a Senate Griffin or a Chillbringer or something like that. But with one of these in play, it's like that increases your, your clock a lot when you're attacking with, like, a three-power Flyer. But if they have two of these in play, then they're just, they're outracing you without even having to attack you, you know? Yeah, it's just it just puts you in such a kind of an awkward position where you just have to keep attacking them because otherwise they they are just going to win with it eventually. You have to try to keep some semblance of a race up, but yeah, it, it doesesn't it doesn't let you do that very well. Um Yeah, it's it's really strong. It feels like maybe it was an, an uncommon originally and they downshifted it to common or something. Yeah, I was super surprised when I realized that it was a common. I was so surprised. My what was your uh, biggest disappointment? Yeah, my biggest disappointment was it's a tie between and it's two gold cards. I think a lot of the uncommon gold cards are kind of crappy. Um, it's a tie between Galloping Lizrog, which is the Simic gold card. It's five mana for a three three, and when it enters the battlefield, you can remove any number of plus one plus one counters from creatures you control, and then it gets twice that many and it has trample. Um, I've just way too often found that it's a five mana three three, which is awful. Yeah. I totally agree. This card is act like actively bad, and like I don't want it in my deck now. I would play like almost any of the other five drops in either guild over it. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, like there's other gold cards which are better, and there's also just like in both of those colors, there are five drops that come to my mind straight away. 
that I would rather take. I would rather take Chillbringer on the blue side, and on the green side, I would rather take the Rampaging Rendhorn, the four-four with Riot. Yeah, exactly. That's just what I was thinking. Like, and that's yeah. not a card that you should take over this. Like, with what this card is trying to do, like that's that is like a big signal that this card is very weak. Yeah, I've even, even when I, I've splashed this off. card in a yeah. in a Gruel deck, and it wasn't even that good. And like loads of my creatures had Riot. I never really got it that much bigger than a five-five. Like a five-five of trample is decent, but for two colors, you're probably looking for something a little bit more special than that. Yeah, the cards just actively bad, I think. Yeah, and then my the other one that I thought about was a uh, Rafter Demon, which is the Rakdos Gold card, Gold Common, and it's um it's two black red for a four-two, but it has Spectacle for one mana more, so it's five mana for uh well it's a four two and then it enters the battlefield and the opponent discards a card it's not terrible but just the the stats are not great it's like if you just play it as a four two that feels really bad because there's already there's already like two i think three mana four twos there's a green one and there's the one that's red you can cost three mana with spectacle or it costs just four mana straight up um five two it's a five two yeah you're right it's five two um and yeah like the discarded card can be good but the fact that it costs more mana then and you're just you're not often happy about the way it's trading and especially against like something like uh orzov if they trade with it and then get an afterlife token you're just like oh that's terrible yeah this card should have had haste i think or like yeah some some extra effect or something like yeah haste or menace maybe or um like a drain or something i don't know yeah it's, it is really bad though it's just as you said it's just it's bad on right whether you're paying spectacle or not like neither you, d- you don't really want to be paying four or five like on either side of it it's it's pretty bad yep um okay so Kieran, do you want to give your your experience so far and and your your best surprise and biggest disappointment yeah so i think we touched on it a little bit already um one thing I noticed is that like yeah it's quite hard to be like a very aggressive deck like most of the two drops like aren't great like the the ones that you would want to take to be an aggressive deck like there's like the the white three one for two it's like you don't really want to play that card in case you play against orzov you know and then you're just being blanked by like an afterlife token or whatever like it really puts you off playing like a three one or whatever and then like none of the guild mages are particularly aggressive like i think the one of the exceptions is like the rakdos uncommon that's like a 2-2 haste and on the beginning of your upkeep you can sack a creature to like deal two to something yeah he's like pretty that's aggressive kind of one of the better ones yeah but like there's just not that many creatures like that and it's just it's just quite hard to uh to build an aggressive deck also the the combat tricks aren't very good um I don't think like the the red one only gives plus one plus oh in first strike i know it lets you scry or whatever but it's just like it doesn't really let you aggressively attack into into you know boards where where they're it's going to make them scared to double block if you had sure strike or something in the format you know they're they're gonna have to think twice about their blocks a lot more of the time yeah whereas in this format it's just it's a lot clearer that they can just probably safely block you know and, uh, and not get blown out by a combat trick um so i don't like that so much uh like the removal is quite good a common as well like which kind of like it's kind of funny because there's like scorch mark at two mana in red right which you'd think would be like a really good card for like aggro rakdos decks to like keep getting in and stuff like that but it's like because a lot of the better creatures are defensively statted it's like a two damage scorch mark that uh two damage scorch mark isn't actually going to clear out the way 
a lot of the time. Like against, a, there's a lot of like one threes, two fours, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I just don't think you're really priced in be aggressive. It does. Scorchmark um, does yeah. sometimes do a little bit of work. Um, if you are attacking, like it kind of works as a as a combat trick, kind of. If like if you just attack into what would be a like a bounce, like the two creatures bounce off each other. And then you can just like skull, um, skull crack, scorch mark after damage. Um, yep. That can that can be all right. Uh, I've also found that I've mainly liked scorch mark in decks like in gruel decks, where I can like just confidently attack every turn. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I think in this format because of spectacle as well in Rakdos, it looks less suspicious. When you make like attacks where the creatures are just going to bounce off each other like that, because it's That's like true. you're more incentivized to make it in case they let you just get spectacles, so they're probably going to think less about blo- about not blocking. They're probably just going to block more often than they would in other formats, which makes that better. Um, yeah, one thing I was wondering, I don't actually know the answer to this, is you know the three mana make two goblins uh, and then make two goblins for each one of the same card in your graveyard. I can't remember what the what the card is called. It's, it's a, a goblin gathering. Yeah, yeah, that one. I was wondering if that's a deck. I've, I played against one opponent on Arena that had like at least three of them, and then they had a couple of the uh, the Trumpet Blast, whatever it's called. It's like one red, red Trumpet Blast, or I don't know any of the names. Yeah, burn, so, yeah. burn Bright. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Uh, so I don't know. That's that's one thing I want to try drafting that I haven't tried yet. Uh, that that could be like a decent aggro deck, I guess. Yeah, I, I um, the, the one draft where I had uh, Judith, and I got a couple of those enchantments, I tried to pick up a few, but uh, I kind of left it a little bit late. I ended up with only two, which is not great. Um, I did yeah. play them, but they were they were only okay. Uh, but if you do have a Judith, I know I know Judith is a rare, but it's pretty insane with Judith. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe maybe that's something that puts you into that deck. Uh, for best surprise for me, I put uh, Eyes Everywhere, which is a two and a blue enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, you scry one, and you can pay five and a blue uh, at sorcery speed to exchange it with um, a target creature. Is a target creature or a target non-non-permanent? I believe it's target creature. Uh, no, it's non-non-permanent. So really? You can get a Planeswalker. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really likely, but, uh, but it can happen. But uh, yeah, I think... I was kind of the same as a lot of other people on this card at first. I didn't think it was um, particularly good. And I was just thinking, uh, you know, it's like a lot of the time they're going to have blue mana. They're going to be able to swap back with you if they want, you know, and you're giving them the scry one and stuff like that. But like, but, but like you can just play this early in the game whenever you get a turn off and just, and just get the scry one going for yourself for the rest of the game. And they have to just be playing around it then for like the entire game. It makes it really hard for them to just like play a bomb if they say like if they don't have blue mana and it's just a mind control like you like and you get to take a really good card you don't really care that they're getting to scry one for the rest of the game because they're likely just not gonna find an answer um and you know even if they do it's like it's it's just a good risk to take um and like in the cases where they do have blue mana like you can still you're still just getting to scry one every turn for the whole game so it's like i think this this card is actually actively pretty good and i would play like one to two of them in any blue deck yeah, like one one interesting thing that I found uh, this is from having the card played against me. I thought it looked like ter- so terrible, and then it was played against me. And I had blue mana in my deck, but the board just developed into a huge stall, and my opponent was ahead mm-hmm. on life just by like a little bit. And they basically took my. I had like two flyers. They had maybe three flyers, but none of their flyers could attack. They just took my biggest flyer and then attacked me with all their flyers. 
knowing that I would just steal my flyer back the next turn, but then they could just steal it back the next turn and just keep attacking. It's almost like a, yeah, a tap yeah. effect in that in that situation. Yeah, the card's just great. So there's that one. Uh, also, as like um, uh, another kind of honorary mention there, I would say high alert. I don't know if people are particularly high, no pun intended, on this card originally, but this is the <laughs> one white-blue uh, enchantment that says your creatures assign damage equal to their toughness rather than their power, and, and your defenders can attack as if as though they didn't have defender. And then you can pay, I think, four mana to uh, to untap one of your creatures or something like that. That that part isn't all that important. But uh, it's just... It, like I thought you would have to build around this a lot more at first, but if you're just in Azorius, or even a lot of the Orzhov cards just are defensively statted, as I mentioned earlier, anyway. So this card just ends up being like a really nice like anthem effect for your team, like without you really having to think about building around it that much. I think it's really powerful. Yeah, it seems quite good. I actually haven't had a chance to play with it yet, but uh, I have had Azorius decks that would have appreciated Yeah. Like, I mean, your two drop a lot of the time is like the 1-3 white Pegasus. You know, like the, you're like, you end up with a lot of filler, like the 1-4 the flyer um that can gain vigilance for one and a white for three mana like just a lot of a lot of the creatures you play are like end up like this like if you end up with this card on the two five unblockable vigilance yeah, uh, for five mana like that's crazy and like it's insane. even really good with the yeah the two five hex proof as well the uh homunculus so there's and like that's that stuff is all like a like most most of the defensive creatures i'm talking about are at common i know a couple of them uncommon but uh and, and the bots seem to pass this in arena as well very very late too i've noticed like I've, I've gotten this a lot later than i think it should go interesting yeah i think uh i think for... this set has been oh, go ahead sorry say that again no go ahead i said sorry okay um i think this set has been really interesting for like showing up the bots like being like oh these brought these bots don't have their priorities straight you can just fool them into all sorts of things yeah, definitely. That might change, I guess, when the best of one comes out. Like they might rework them a little bit or something. Yeah, I, but, uh, I assume. I hope they do. I, I assume that there's just some some like kind of numbers that they can twiddle in the background and and just make some changes on the fly. Which I assume, if they're if they're looking at information from from the drafts, then they'll be able to do that. Hopefully, for the kind of betterment of the format, or even just to change it up, even if. It, you know, even if it settles in a worse place, it's fine to just change it up every once in a while. Yep, yeah, we definitely agree. It wasn't their talk of like machine learning at the start of you know when Arena was first announced. Um, like surely this is something that I can yeah it can be constantly taking data from what actual players are picking, then updating their priorities. You know, essentially getting better with every draft if yep. that's like uh, presumably an option. Yeah, yeah, that'd be no problem to do. What they do in Eternal, which is quite clever, is just uh, you just get past the packs of a previous player who drafted, right? So like. From your second pick onwards, you're just getting like a log file of what someone else drafted in the previous draft. Oh, wow. So that's kind of a good way to do it as well without having to worry about bots and stuff. Maybe yeah, they could yeah. do something like that, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, for big, biggest disappointment for me, I put down Quench, which is the one in the blue counter spell, counter unless they pay two. Uh, I thought this was just going to be like a fine playable and like you'd be able to just like slot it into most of your decks and like you'd have a decent target most of the time. What I found is that like I'm pretty much always able to play around this card and the once or twice that i've had it in my deck i feel like my opponents have just like not had trouble playing around it either like the format's not that fast and people are playing a lot of gates and stuff like that so they're playing off curve anyway a lot of the time um so it just leads to a lot of situations where you know after the first couple turns that like people just have mana open for this and like yeah of course every so often you're you're gonna get their like five drop or whatever and they're not gonna be able to pay but 
I, I just feel like most of the time people are able to to pay the two mana. And as well as that, there's like the adapt mana sinks and stuff like that and the guild mages and stuff. There's just quite a bit to do with your mana uh, like that you can you can afford to play around this card. Yeah, I think it's definitely not, not the best in the format. Um, I've had a lot of people, for some reason, trying to quench my spells when I can pay. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. I think a lot of people don't realize when you have a locket that you can pay that's happened to me quite a few times mm, i think okay. some people because because it's apart from your lands i think they just look at your lands and try to counter mm, could be could be or people um, yeah, people want to cast blue spells uh quests yeah that could be it al do you have one that you want to say a bit um about limited yeah well like unlike uh, you two scrubs i have a 100 percent win rate in uh, draft i uh, drafted once once in paper yesterday i went uh, 3-0 uh Nice. It was yeah. So I I, I was you know, less familiar to format. I was you know, learning cards as a game. Uh, pack one. I was going deep in doors off with some um, with some uh, you know some stack outlets, some uh, afterlife. Uh, but then towards the end of the pack, I, was, I got past two Arachnos Skill Gates, and I you know, with no other choices. So I thought, oh, I'll just take these Skill Gates. You know, I might I might open um, you know, I might open a bomb that I can splash in my next pack. Then pack two, I opened uh, Judith. Uh, and then just the, the whole draft has went so smoothly after that because Rakdos has opened coming from, coming from my left. Then Orzov has opened again, coming on back three, coming back uh, from my right. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it was something we kind of mentioned last week of how just the way Judith plays out that you don't necessarily need to, to be taking advantage of Judith's ability to make the most of it. Uh, in the finals, uh, the final final the final game in the final match, yeah, we had a really solid board. Uh, opponent had uh, was was killing me with two five unblockables and Azorius. Um, basically, I, I was dead on board. Uh, I was even thinking, oh, I don't think I have any any outs here. And I drew Judith, and then you no, know, her just coming on the battlefield has changed the match so much that I now suddenly, what were where I didn't have profitable attacks before, now I did, uh, and they're like lethal lethal attacks that my opponent had to block. And then by blocking them, Judith was able to pick, pick off more stuff. Uh, it was just crazy how yeah, just you know, one tree up has had such a powerful effect uh, on the battlefield. Um, yeah, she's pretty crazy, all right. Was, yeah, so I, I I felt like that was really. You know, the most uh, I could lead into her um, as I probably would ever do uh, in draft. And then immediately afterwards, I was like, I want to buy this card for standard and try it out. I have to say that um, I, I really think that in general, I would like to be Orzov splash blue or Orzov splash red in any given draft. Yeah, I feel like it's, I feel like there's plenty of ways to, um, yeah, there's plenty of ways to take advantage of of, of, of um, afterlife and you can really just clog up the board and then. I think, like like you were saying, you know, big booties are, are so important. Oh, sorry, not so important. Big booties are able in a format. Uh, flyers are so important, which uh, Orzov has plenty of and hard, ones that are hard to kill. One more little feature of the format that I wanted to mention before we move on is that there are there is a bunch of enchantments, and there's not very much enchantment removal. There's the three-mana white common that's like destroy an artifact or enchantment and scry one, and is that it? <laughs> There's Mortify in Orzov as well. Oh yeah, yeah, Mortify. Um, so uncommon though. Yeah, uncommon, and like that's something that people will just always take highly. So. Yeah, it's it's pretty tough to deal with the enchantments. I think like um, how much enchantment removal is there? There's like Lob Mage's Binding, and there's like the minus four minus O blue one. Nobody's really playing that though. There's a there's a couple of them, and there's yeah. like one that makes you like lose flying and get Defender as well. That's a white one. So, yeah. The Law Mage's Binding is common, which is the the interesting thing. Yeah, there are a lot of those floating around. I had a sick game where I had the 4-5 Vigilance for 5, uh, the rare, where you can exile creatures 
that you control under it to give it plus two plus two, and I got oh, to yeah. exile two creatures that have been pacifismed under it. So I had oh, an eight nine. Sick. And then when they killed it, I got the two creatures back. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. Beautiful. Yeah, that that card is a lot better than I thought it was. I was I kind of looked at it and I was like, eh. But actually, it's just fine on its own. And then if you exile even one creature, it's massive. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Like, all right, I think that's going to round up our limited discussion for the week. And we are going to move into standard. Uh, Al, I think because you were a little bit left out of our previous discussion, maybe you can take the lead here. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I, so was, yeah, I, I haven't been playing very much limited, but I've been playing a lot of standard, uh, getting ready for the... Uh, or I have an, an RPG, RPG coming up. I don't even know. If to, yeah, it's the, the last RPGQ ever uh, coming up in two weeks. So Aww. I still have no idea how to play um, the format. I know it's sad, even though I, I definitely have. I've had more fun winning PPTQs than losing RPGQs. So I'll miss the PPTQs more. Uh, RPG. But um, yeah, so basically, still, yeah, still trying to slide on the deck. Um, I guess at the moment, uh, Burn, so it's, yeah, so it's, the way I see the format is uh, Burn's very start scene seems very, very good. Uh, it's completely dominating. It's dominating the ladder completely, completely on Arena. Uh, you could get, you know, very early kills, very quick kills, uh, thanks to Seam uh, Key, and then you have Chief Card Advantage uh, in Light of the Sage, uh, which is just a lot more flexible than um, than Experimental Frenzy is. Uh, people are, people just aren't playing Experimental Frenzy anymore, and it lets you, you know, bring down your land count to about 18 or 19 mountains. Um, so as well as that deck is 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 very, very strong, but my, my opinion is I think it is overrepresented uh, in Arena, for, you know, first of all, just because you can have quick matches, you can win more games, you climb the ladder, but also because in the best of one format, People are playing playing it more often in best one, um, because there's no sideboarding. I mean, you know, one, one thing that you know Monored doesn't do very well is is, is the sideboarding. You know, if you look at uh, those sideboard cards from the previous format, you know, usually all red does is kind of like change its removal and maybe add a land and add a four drop. But like, I feel like um, other decks can can really just out sideboard uh, Monored and, and punish Monored in post sideboard matches, which you're really not seeing all that much happen uh, in arena. So I suppose so. After that, um, so right now the SCG uh, Indie, I think it is, is um, in day two. Um, so it's from, from the coverage I saw yesterday, it seems there's like Nexus, the Nexus X, so seem very, very powerful, and it's just ridiculous. So seeing you know, players go off them, um, I think it's uh, uh, for mana enchantment. What's it called? Will the yeah, will the uh, has to be an absolute mistake of a card. Uh, just the amount of mana you just generate uh, very, very, very early on in the game. Uh, there's a whole lot of different uh, variants of this deck. Kieran, uh, you have experience with um, with a few of them, uh, but I can see I suppose I I, I can see those occupying space. Well, I, I can see those just becoming dominant in the format uh, if we don't really have a way to uh, attack uh, this kind of strategy. Yeah, uh, wilderness reclamation is clearly broken. <laughs> That's that, that is good. Uh, uh, so I suppose I'm, I'm playing a lot of burn, yeah. and you know I can I can be wilderness reclamation. Just you, you just make sure that they're dead before they play it. Yeah, it's probably your worst matchup is mono red, but even then, it's probably still like only sixty forty against you or something like that. I'm I'm still winning quite a bit against mono red. Like they really need they like you need you need a good draw to kill before. Like it depends it depends how many gates of paradise the the nexus player draws, but like that's your worst matchup. But like any other creature deck, slower creature deck that's like a you know a green black deck or a, a bounding crosses deck or a merfolk deck or a grill deck, they're all just far too slow. Or like these green white angels decks or whatever, They're, it's just an absolute joke. They can just never beat you. I feel like I'm I'm seeing a lot of uh, a, a lot of these uh, wilderness recommendation decks having a uh, probably more than one, uh, possibly a full playset of uh, Night of Autumn in the main deck now uh, on the arena ladder, um, and it's just such a good multi-purpose card because it's 
pretty much like a almost a three for one against mono red because it's like a body that they have to they have to get past like almost none of their creatures can just attack past it even when it's a two one uh it mm-hmm. gains you four life so that's a burn spell and a half and then it's like it it can destroy enchantments so it's even decent in the mirror yeah it's also like you have no outs against uh excellent binding as well pretty much so uh so it's nice to be able to blow that card up I haven't tried that actually. I, I might try that. I've been I've been playing pretty just streamlined lists that don't really have any tech in them. They're just trying to combo off as as reliably as possible. Yeah, I I think that for for best of one, I think those little techie cards are, are important because like just knowing that you do have the ability to draw your out, like that was why I was playing like un, unmoored ego in my Grixis list before before the new set came out because it was just like. If I don't have this on my list, I literally, I know that I can never, ever, ever win a game against the next of the Fate deck. Yeah, for sure. And like, uh, yeah, like if you name Expansion Explosion with that card against the deck list I'm playing in best of one, I literally have no way to win the game. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think like, I think Mono Red's very good as well. It's, I think it's Burn specifically is like more powerful than it's been in Standard since I started playing again. Um, like this is just the most Lightning Bolts that it's had access to. And it can kill you really, really fast, as Al said, because of because of Runaway Steamkin, which is like can be like a like a desperate ritual that also does four damage, you know, on turn three, which is pretty scary. Yeah, I, I also think light up the stage is is always part of your turn three kills. I'm pretty sure. Mm, yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, just refill your hand. I suppose it, it, it plays out a lot like um not like uh yeah, Legacy Burn. You're just you you just want to resolve you know X amount of of burn spells, possibly a fire seven spells um and it's like so it was like like basically like legacy burn will just completely folds if you uh if, if one of your burn spells gets countered it's really hard for you to win or if you mulligan it's really hard to win because it's so reliant it's so reliant on you casting uh your your seven burn spells whereas uh yeah maybe light of stage was very cheap card advantage uh you know you, you can you, like you can always just keep on going and if you light up like light up the stage and draw another light up the stage you know you're you're you're, you're just drawing cards every turn yeah, there's a lot of like Esper and Bant decks running around as well, so it's like um, it it does even feel more like that because if one of your burn spells gets countered now in mono red and standard, it's relatively likely that the counter spell was absorb. So you probably just yeah. that's like two two spells, so you just lost the game probably. Yeah, more more likely. Yeah, definitely. yeah, like playing a Nexus it's... deck, I'm just not scared of like cancels either. It's just like because I'm just playing these ramp spells earlier, which the, which the control decks don't want to counter. And then, like, by the time I have enough mana to go off, it's like, I don't care. They're going to run out of counter spells, and I'm just going to keep drawing nexuses, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yes, because the card shuffles itself back into your deck, which is very silly. Yeah, it's incredibly stupid. Ah, uh, God. Yeah. It feels super powerful to me, though. Like, I'm looking at the like the la- the 5-0 list, um, the first one that went up on TG Goldfish. And, like, there's a lot of green cards in here. There's a lot of, like, Llanowar Elves and Incubation Druids, Hydro Crosses, Jade Lair Rangers. It's, like, almost all green cards in the top 10, actually. But, like, I can't imagine, like, apart from the Gate, which is the most popular card here, which is all in sideboards, like, I can't imagine, like, ever losing to any of these other cards with uh, with a Nexus of Fate deck. Yeah, do, do you feel like, also on, on the topic of the Gate, do you feel like the Gate is, is a problem? I mean, otherwise you'll just play them. But I say, not so much the Gate coming from a control deck, but the Gate coming from a mid-range deck. Oh yeah, well, I can't beat that. Up with backup tricks. Yeah, yeah, I can never beat a guide in a million years. No, it's but like not a game one. You can probably yeah, play yeah. Spell Pierce. It'll probably do largely the same thing. It's cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the list. Uh, so 
coming from kind of where the credit work of based on our standard is now uh, what I'm playing now at the moment is a is this a, a team or crisis list which is uh, yeah, there, there's a few kind of similar, similar ones uh, going around which basically just make a load of mana uh, you have very little interaction you just got big creatures uh, big races uh, negates and spell pierces in the sideboard um, which I guess is where I want to be uh, I took it through uh, uh, a traditional constructed there on Arena and I played against four control decks out of five uh, and, and, and five owed so it's, it feels like kind of deck that shouldn't be good against control you know it's like Mid-range loses the control traditionally, but uh, I think just the, the threats you have and the, the interaction you have access to post-board uh, do seem pretty important. Well, it just, it's just Bounding Crisis be, being a cast trigger, right? You just draw five cards or whatever against the control deck, that you just can't beat that. No, it's, uh, it's, um, it's Hydroid, Hydroid Crisis. Bounding Crisis with Flash Dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bounding Crisis. Three, three. Modern, modern yeah. staple. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's standard. In the, the Bancoco. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, it is. It's just yeah, having no way to interact with a, a cash triggers. Yeah, you can like you can happily just like you don't get punished if you, if you tap. You know, all your creatures, all your lands. If you you know, you know tap ten mana to cast a spell, even if you're if, even if you know your opponent has a whole load of kind of spells in their hand, you know you're not gonna, you're not going to get punished. Your essence scatter fine. Like gained four, drew four. Yeah, Crassus definitely seems like a good place to be right now because it's it it kind of it kind of pivots between being good against control and good against red. Obviously, at the point where you're casting it for X equals a lot of life, uh, then you're, you're probably winning that game against red anyway because it's gone too long. But it, you know, you can you can still cast it for for four and gain one life, draw one card. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's going to trade off with your creatures. It's, it's going to yeah because at the moment red creatures are are smaller um, because red. Yeah. I suppose red is now more of a burn deck than a red aggro, red aggro deck. It's developed this um this philosophy of fire, so it doesn't play. Um, it doesn't play Phoenix. It doesn't play uh, Chamber anymore. So yeah, like, well, uh, uh, some, sometimes sometimes they're cutting Chain Chainworld or sometimes not. Okay, okay, most of the I've seen have cut Chainworld. I suppose it is a different version with 18 lands. Yeah, there's a few different versions of Red, but yeah, regardless, the the Crassus is gonna is gonna do work. Um, it's just terrible against Nexus, though, isn't it? Like I know you have negates and spell pierces post board, but like I just don't ever see you winning a game one. Yeah, so maybe, maybe well, yeah, maybe you don't win a game one. Yeah. So you, you have you have, uh, you have um you have, you have haste threats. You have a uh, uh, grills spellbreaker. Yeah, if if you have the board density to, to back it up, then I guess it would still be pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like because like I think you're just gonna die on like turn five in game one every time if you if you can't interact. Yeah, I, Which I, is I can definitely in the see red that. Decks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You get a, a lot of counters in the sideboard for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen. What what if what if we're so you're saying that like counters out of the sideboard are pretty good, like negate or spell pierce or whatever in your mid range deck against a control deck, they're pretty good. I agree. What if we stick in right. some hand disruption? In, yeah, that's also good. What if we what if we go black here and of course the main draw is gonna be drill bit. Oh, your favorite card. Oh yes. <laughs> Get in with yeah, the Lana War Elf. Yeah, I don't know. I I I I think I think it's possible. I I, I don't know how how sincere you're being, uh, David Wolf, but I I, I do like this because uh, not very. On really there, I I played against uh, I did play against a uh, it was a very aggressive uh, black red deck that had um that had a, a you know two two drop dog goblin goblin two drop one goblin makes another goblin goblin instigator and Judith um and you know, basically those small creatures but still playing Angrath and still playing some hand disruption um it was. I suppose we can see how easy it is to activate uh, spectacle. You know, maybe, yeah, maybe, that, uh, that actually sounds okay. Life. Yeah, uh, I was trying to. I'm saying you got to be ready for the sideboard plan as well. From uh, this is the five zero 
team or Nexus list uh, is in the in the sideboard. They have four Carnage Tyrants and two Palaka Worms. Oh my god! Oh god! And you got to be ready for yeah. that sideboard Love round it. too. Yeah, the team or Nexus can't beat can't beat the team or Nexus can't beat big creatures. <laughs> I, it's kind of I feel like I'm, I'm sure this is this is stating obvious, but I feel like now I'm realizing how absolutely spoiled we were with a Harness Lightning previous team or builds. Yeah, uh, Harness Lightning is insane. Anything right now, it's like the only removal you have uh, are. Or uh, lava coil, which like yep, yeah, once they go past five stuff, this it's not dying. Unless you go to black and you get yourself a pestilent spirit, and then you can just kill whatever you want. <laughs> I like how in both times you said you can go to black. There was like better options. I thought you were gonna say, oh, you can go to black for you know duress, or you can go to black for for Rascal's attempt. But oh, I like him. Um, I like I thought you were, we're we're trying hard to use new cards. Yeah, yeah, it's important. Spirit. Got to exercise that kind of deck building tool. Deck building tool of yeah. of uh, pesting spirit. I have seen a, a Jund Death Burner. You see this Jund Death Burner list with them um, taking advantage of uh oh grab and dab. What's that card, card called? Uh, well, obviously that's not very helpful. The split card in in one in one oh, grabbing status statue. Uh, statue. Status statue. Status statue. Uh, yes, yeah, so yeah, instant speed, hex proof. Oh, sorry, instant speed, death, death touch to a uh, chain world to wipe reward. Uh, this is something that will be very good if these. You know, team or Sultai clog up the clog up the board kind of decks. Uh, you know, try to fight back against them. Um, you know, control or Nexus. It's true. If you, yeah. If I mean, you really wanted. I just feel, I, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying at the moment I'd be scared of Nexus. That's that's what I would want to have the of game. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I, I probably tend to just play yeah mono blue aggression disruption. Yeah, um, I think it's really good actually. Yeah, mono blue yeah. does seem decent, but I think that like mono red can usually be mono blue. I mean, yeah, that, that's it. It's like, it's what's, yeah, what, what are we more afraid of? One or red or, or Nexus? And I mean, in general, I think I would be more afraid yeah. of Nexus because it's miserable to play against and lose to. Whereas at least if you lose to Mono Red, it's, it's just over quickly. You can, go, you can go get a cup of tea. Yeah. Nexus, I think, doesn't take that. I haven't played it in paper yet, but I don't think it takes that long to go off in paper. I think it takes much longer in Arena. Tapping the lands is so laborious on your end step and stuff. Whereas in paper, you can, sure. you can shortcut a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you can yeah, just say yeah. what you're doing. And people will scoop a lot faster in paper as well once you explain what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, but then you'll find the, like, the one person who's real super salty and they just won't scoop and they'll just make you do every action. And then it's just much, much worse because they're sitting there staring at you. I uh, know, it's fine. I love that. That is that is what I play Magic Ward, is to live off the salt of players. I will, uh, yeah, that is I, pretty I will, good. I will relish every second of that. <laughs> I was having the crack earlier at Arena, and I was just messing with the teamer deck, and I had already gone off, but I had uh, I had four extra turns upcoming on my end step already, and I was still like generating mana and nexusing and stuff. Nice. Yeah. Oh god. I had the explosion in my hand already. I was just getting familiar with the deck. Is it? I think I explosioned them for like forty or something. Well, hold on. If you do that, like, can can you deck yourself? Um. What do you mean? I mean Oh, you just you make just them draw the cards. The card Never mind. Yeah, yeah. That's what I always do. Cause it looks cooler anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forgot that it was target player for both. Yeah. The deck would not be very good, otherwise you would <laughs> regularly cause a draw. But I, I was wondering, was there like a timing thing where like the damage happens first and then the card draw? But uh, no, you just you just target them. Yeah, the game would just be a draw the wrong way. All right. So uh, that's standard. Standard seems like an absolute mess. Uh, <laughs> can't wait to see what develops. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what, what comes out this weekend. I feel like, yeah, Kieran's right. Nexus is very, very strong. Um, um, after this discussion, I'm thinking leaning more towards Mono Blue because you got game against Nexus. And I feel like maybe you do have a game against Mono Red because I know the previous version of Mono Red, Mono Red was very unfavored for Mono Blue. 
But if, if, if it's these versions are just playing all the bolts, um, I mean, you used to have your, like, because like we said, you know, if, if you counter one spell, uh, you're probably going to be ahead. Um, you could play like, what if, what if you played like a Simic deck that had like the mono blue kind of stuff, but you just also had like wild growth walkers, you know, you could play like an explore package. Yeah. Yeah. So you could play like a Merfolky deck with but, like curious obsessions or whatever. Okay. But like how, when you, when you say wild, wild growth walkers, you need the explore guys to, to pay that off. And is it just going to be Merfolk branch walkers or is it going to be Jade Light Jade Rangers? Rangers? Cause if it's Jade Light yeah. Rangers, then you need way more green mana. And then mana's fine, right? I, mean, I yeah, don't think well, you play I, I, Tempest Chim. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're getting rid of that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of your only, only one of your only ways to interact is uh, um, Merfolk Trickster. It's going to be harder if you're turn two Merfolk Trickster into turn three Jade Light Ranger. Now you have uh, Pongify, the split card. <laughs> Very true. Maybe you could play that. You can turn their Scargan Hellcut into a 3 3. <laughs> <laughs> that you still can't block. Yeah, that's true. But uh, I do think that the one of the things about Mono Blue that actually gives it some game against mono red is tempest gin because the tempest gin is you know just the right sizing that it they're going to need to do two burn spells to kill it and if they don't or if you have a dive down if you wait till turn four then the tempest gin can kill the mono red player back pretty quick um because it's usually going to be like a five four by that time so just a few quick hits while you're protected can be enough but I suppose if you were to replace it with yeah. Wild Grow Walker, that would also be enough. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, I suppose we're all stuck by a different deck because you'll know, it's, it's, probably be taking out your unblockable Merfolk if you're bringing in an Explore package. Yeah, yeah it's, it's worth looking yeah. into. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe just straight, straight, Merfolk, straight up Merfolk. Maybe. Magic is difficult. All right, let's, uh, let's move on. We are not talking tournament report this week. Shock. I know the feature is dead, basically. I mean, I'm sure we'll do one one after all, or PTQ or whatever. But yeah, it's not going to be a weekly thing anymore. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're kind of taking a step back from tournament reports, mainly because, well, for me anyway, obviously I'm not playing that many tournaments, and for you guys, you're not playing that many competitive tournaments because we don't really know the future of kind of local level competitive tournaments. So if those come back in the future in some form, then maybe we will bring back tournament report we'll resurrect it um and of course we still will have time on the podcast to hear about al's rptq or any like big tournaments that we happen to go to like gp reports stuff like that uh but for the time being we're going to replace tournament report and deck of the week with uh, a new segment that we're calling enter the arena it's about how to load up the program mtg arena on your computer yes it's about how to um you download a a a, a, uh no i was gonna make a terrible joke never mind uh, if you ever try to play Elder Scrolls Arena on a computer, it's a whole load of different stuff you have to do to download a, a DOS um, emulator. It's not worth it. But um, it's, not about, it's not about Elder Scrolls 1. Okay, this is, yeah, this this segment is not about Elder Scrolls 1, uh, <laughs> the ancient Bethesda game. It is, in fact, uh, going to be a segment that will be focused on helping newer players who have come into the game with Arena with kind of some tips tricks kind of uh quality of life stuff or level ups uh in what you can do on arena as well as moving from arena into paper play because we've seen a lot of that if you if you frequent the uh the magic arena subreddit you do see a lot of people like posting pictures of like physical cards saying oh my god i started playing the physical paper game because of arena huge mistake yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I would completely agree. Yes, yeah. massive mistake. You're about to spend a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah I, I was like straight away at the first, my first round of release uh, last weekend. I um, I played against him. It was new fair, so we played the games. But we, we played the first game. After the first game, uh, he thought it was best of one. Like no one had told him coming in to the pre-release that uh, games are played best of three. Oh my god, that's amazing. Which which is like which I, I suppose like of course like no no one tells you these things. Um, I suppose which is what we're going to try to do uh, right here. And so did you did you beat him the first game? Yeah, so I've been in the first game and he extended his hand uh, to to um, you know, go game. And unlike our last discussion about shaking hands, I refused to shake his hand because Locked I thought it it's not over yet. <laughs> yeah, like get out of here. We're playing again. I'm going to crush you again. And he was just like, oh, okay. No, I thought we were done. <laughs> yeah, it's like usually, I like, usually you shake hands after the match is done. He said, "Watch us more," and I was like, "Oh yeah, it's best out of three. Technically, it's first to two. Yes, yes. How amazing would it have been though if if he had won and then just got up and walked away? Judge's <laughs> <laughs> upon it. I mean, like judged by opponents, scooped, uh, disrupted. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But I suppose, being it's like, what if? Uh, Obviously, pretty special stuff. But like, what, what if that happens? Uh, like, if people, uh, people, well, actually, no, we don't have to worry about that anymore. I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If it, if For a whole different reason. Of competitive. But um, so we will help. We will help uh, you players enter the arena. All right. So, so the arena to play I guess that's our that's our first uh, that's our first tip on enter the arena is in real life games are always best of three or as I said first yeah. to two wins. Yeah. Yeah. That's like I that's mean, relevant if draws happen in a game, but that, don't worry about that. Yeah, I would say like a lot of stuff is just to do with like physically like holding your cards and stuff. But people will point this out as you play in paper. But like um, a lot of new players, I notice like when they play across the table from you will like not like they'll, their cards will be like tilted towards you. You can see what's in their hand and stuff. I've had to remind a lot of new players to like hide, hide their cards so your opponent can't see them and stuff like that. Yeah, very true. Um, yeah, probably practice shuffling a little bit before you go as well. It's like, I was a terrible shuffler when I started playing in paper. I used to be spilling cards everywhere and felt like I couldn't shuffle and stuff. I used to get really embarrassed about it. Do a bit of, do a yeah, bit of shuffling also, while you're playing arena, maybe. Yeah, yeah. No, so, so, I suppose, on your hand, when I, when I was starting, whenever I saw a player who was very good at shuffling, I become very intimidated. But I was like, this is obviously a very good player because I know how to shuffle cards. Yeah, I still can't shuffle cards very well, so no fear <laughs> of that. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, obviously, obviously, you know, one thing I found helpful in that in sequencing and stuff was just goal fishing a lot. Uh, when you get a new deck, see up a new deck, goal fishing is a lot of fun, uh, especially when you're you know, learning, learning the rules and the interactions. Um, you know, it does those do leaps and bounds uh, to get you there. And what is goal fishing, Alan? Oh, goal fish. I, I think it comes from uh, the the idea of you're playing against your goalfish. So it's basically you you you, you, know, you shuffle your shuffle, shuffle your deck, you deal yourself um, you know, seven cards like a normal game, and you basically just play out every turn as if you're playing. Uh, you know, against an invisible opponent. Um, you know, it's like you, you you go through your turn, obviously skipping your opponent's turn, you just draw a second card, go to your second turn. Uh, I really just kind of play out the game, really just kind of one-sided. Uh, some people who are very good at it can like almost like uh, you know make make uh, their supposed opponents turn plays for them. So you know, they'll say, "Oh, I'll play a turn one mana elves that might get removed." So I'll do this. Uh, as it's really the, the the main aim, especially if you're coming from arena, is just to get used to the cards. They used to uh, um. Just a dexterity of tapping hands and drawing cards and stuff like that. Yeah. Anytime I, you mess up, call a judge as well. Absolutely. Even if you're like, if you if you think you forgot to draw a card or something, don't be like, oh, that's my bad. I guess I don't get to draw a card. Just call, you know, raise your hand, call a judge, and you'll probably most likely get to draw your card. Yeah, you should actually. This actually, this actually happened to me at a, at a tournament where uh, someone had, um, yeah, I think he has, he, oh yeah, he actually, he, he had as kind of the enchantment, um, you know, resolved that. 
uh, looked top guard, put it in the graveyard, and then just went into his main base, skipping his draw set. Uh, I pointed it out to him. He said, "Oh no, that's my mistake. I skipped. I I I skipped. I skipped my draw set. I deserve to miss it." Uh, which you know, usually is the case for triggers, but because yeah, the draw set is a stage of the turn, uh, you can't miss it. So yeah, got to judge, judge, and draw yeah. card. But at like a, at FNM level, even with triggers and stuff like that, a lot of the time, you know, your your opponent or will let you have it, you know, or a judge will will tell you that you can put it on the stack or whatever as well. So just don't be too afraid if you if you mess up. Don't be like, oh well, you know, that's my bad. I'm not even going to say anything. Just you can always you can always call a judge no matter no matter what happened and you know what's the worst that can happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the judges are there to fix the game state when it's broken. They're not there to tell anybody, oh, you're a bad person and you've done something wrong, whatever. No. Um, yeah, I think I think in general, a lot of that physical dexterity stuff, there's there's a lot of people are nervous about going to a pre-release. They think everybody's gonna like shark them or like people will be really frustrated with them that they're that they don't know how to play properly or whatever. But in general, from things that I've read online and from people that I've spoken to in real life, almost like Everybody, 90, 99% of people's first experiences of Magic is like at a pre-release and they usually come away with a very positive uh, impression of the of, of the situation, of the event, because, well, what, what you should do is basically just tell your opponent, hello, nice to meet you, exchange names or whatever, and then just say, hey, I'm new. If I do anything wrong, let me know or call a judge or... Um, I'm sorry if, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Sometimes I might have to read some cards. Yeah. And I will say one thing is if you're coming from Arena, you probably know a lot more about Magic than the average, like, person who's who's playing in paper for the first time at a pre-release. You know Absolutely. I mean? You're probably already well on your way. Yeah, so yeah. it's probably not, not as much reason. Like, it's obviously a bit different playing in paper and you have to worry about the physical dexterity stuff, but you're going to have a lot better grip on what's going on. Exactly. Absolutely, yeah. Um, another small tip is... Uh, don't tap your lands 45 degrees. We have to tap them all the way in paper, 90 degrees. I was yeah, going to say, yeah, I, I haven't seen it yet. I, I, I've seen players going from Arena, um, yeah, like, like I said, but I still have yet to see someone tap a land 45 degrees. I'm sure it will happen someday. We also um, yeah, it's can't happened. stack them all together. Yeah, don't stack your lands yeah. on top of one another. In general, just just try to think about making stuff as clear for both players in the game as you can when you play, like the way you lay stuff out the way you uh, you announce your actions and stuff like that. Just try to make it uh, your communication clear and, and the board stay clear. Yeah, as vocal as possible, certainly in the beginning. Um, as you get more experience, then you'll you'll know what information is important to, to always say and what important what information you should probably keep to yourself. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, um, if anybody listening has any questions on this topic that they would like to suggest for for enter the arena uh then you can email the podcast you can email skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com or you can uh tweet us at skullcrack at skullcrack podcast at skullcrack i think at skullcrack yeah so you can tweet us or you can email the podcast with uh some suggestions for enter the arena but uh do remember it's going to be focused mainly on players coming from arena to paper so those kind of tips would be good. Um, we do have an email this week. It's not on this topic, but it is from longtime listener, friend of the show, Eamon. And he's got a question for us. He says... Oh, yes. Oh, this is very interesting. Yeah, this is an interesting question. He says, if you could guarantee that you would day two every GP, 
now Magic Fest you attended, but never higher than two hundredth place, would you do it? Go ahead, Alfie. Yeah, you answer. Yeah, sorry, I was going to say you use answer, Chris, because I have somewhat of a long answer for this. Okay. All right, I'm going to say no, just because. Yeah, I would. I would always want to try and try and get there, try to get to the top eight or whatever, you know. And I have a I have a lot of you know single elimination PTQ dreams as well to play on Sundays if I don't day two. So. Yeah, I, I would always say no as well. I think uh, knowing that you can't get higher than that is like not, uh, it's just, that, that would be kind of demoralizing. So I, I don't think that I would take that deal. Also, I actually, I haven't day two to GP yet, but like my ultimate goal is not day two. It's like to top eight or win one. So, you know. Yeah, for sure. For- day two, not good enough. If you told me, you know, top 50% of the Pro Tour, like, yeah, I'd probably go to every Pro Tour. Yeah, that's a little bit different. Yeah. All right, Al, yeah, hit so, us. Oh right, yeah, so so I suppose on 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 basically to go off that point you said yeah if if it could be uh, your top eight of G or top three percent of road tour maybe you would take it. Uh, so I feel like yeah when I first asked the question my gut response was um, oh yes definitely I'd like to I'd like to day two on my on my GP uh, and kind of do basically just as well as I'm doing now at the moment. But I suppose I suppose the thing with competitive magic is that um, I'm sure a lot of people can empathize with it. so when I when I started playing competitive competitively like literally all I wanted was. Uh, to win a game day and to win a play back to set champion. But then by the time I got to that, you know, that suddenly wasn't that that suddenly just wasn't good enough. Then I was like, all right, now I want to win a PPTQ. And then you know put a lot of effort into winning the PPTQ. When I won one, I was like, oh well now, like even though people were congratulating me, it was a great moment when I won my first PPTQ. But straight away I was like, no, gotta focus on RPTQ and, and do well in that. So it was like that's kind of the the, the the point I'm at now. And so even though I'm putting a lot of effort into you know get going to the Pro Tour, um I uh it's it's like I know that once when I do qualify for Pro Tour It'll be, a big, it'll be a big celebration. It'll be a happy moment, but I still be focusing on no. I want to. I want to. You know what do I what do I want to do to you know get ready for the pro tour and do well at the pro tour. And maybe maybe this is a hyperbole, but I feel like even even if I won a pro tour, or even if like the, the best, the, high, the highest accolade, even if I won, yeah, you know, say if I top eight at the pro tour and then lost in top eight, I'd still be disappointed that I didn't do better and didn't uh, you know win the pro tour. And I know that if I win a pro tour, the next thing will be oh well now I want to. I, I, I want to win the, the world. The, the, I want to win worlds. And maybe if if I ever get to a point where I do win worlds, maybe I still won't be satisfied there. I'd still be like, oh, well, now I want to do it again. I want to chain chain it two two in a row. So, so so far in my magic career, there has been goals that I thought when I set them that I wouldn't want anymore. You know, each time I achieve the goal, you know, it's almost like I didn't have a, I didn't you know, get a chance to to um to celebrate. I just straight away wanted the next thing. So having said that, maybe maybe a way to break this curse is to take uh. Eamon's suggestion and uh, only you know not do better and only say uh, you know 200 hit a GP and just go and enjoy games of magic and then go out and I suppose you know and go out for pints with the lads and you know on on after day one and still go to day two and scrub out and I think what was a match folks I mean obviously it's not not a great person to be quoting but uh he had you know the very uh uh hot take of uh the worst thing that could happen to someone is uh, a high finish at a GP because I suppose you know because match players you you're so, because like the higher you climb, you're suddenly surrounded by people who have done better than you, and you still want to, you know, keep on, you know, going for more and more. So, I suppose to answer Amy's question, the answer is I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that is just the sort of that's the life of being a competitive player in any pursuit, isn't it? It's not just magic. It's like that. That's just the mindset that uh, yeah. that you have to have if you want if you want to if you want to keep winning and you want to keep getting better and improving at, at whatever pursuit it is. You have to keep aiming higher. You can never be satisfied with with the level you're at or what you've already achieved because, you know, it's like LSV talking about the fire. 
you know, in the, in his last couple of pro tours, it's like, if you don't have the fire anymore, you know, where are you going to go from there? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But at the same time, I do think it's important to, uh, allow yourself to celebrate or be happy with your achievements so far before you start thinking about the next thing. So basically don't yeah, be so hard on yourself. Al. I know. Yeah. It's, it's I know even, uh, even when I got my, when I finished my five, um, I was out of celebration. No, people say congratulations, Dr. Harrison. But even in my head, I was like, "Oh, I have to do the, the corrections for the hard copy of the teeth." Uh, so it's like there's always a next step. But yeah, maybe it's maybe I should be more mindful and, and enjoy the game of magic and uh, enjoy crushing opponents and enjoy the salt that slippers from their mouth as I put my foot on their throat and watch the light fade from their eyes as I kill them in their last turn. Because it's a fun it game. Sounds like you're already enjoying it too much there. <laughs> Eamon also sent us in some new cards for our custom set, Tala Time War, based all around uh, Irish mythology. So far, it's mostly Irish mythology, but slightly mixed with modern-day Irish things. Um, so he has sent us... Yeah, it's, it's a loose concept. Huh? I said, yeah, it's, it's a loose concept. We haven't, we haven't pinned down yet, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll develop it as it comes. So. We're in the early stages. So he sent us here a legendary enchantment called Tirnanog. It's a four white white, and it says creatures you control have indestructible. That's pretty good. But it also says yes. whenever whenever a creature you control attacks, sacrifice it. Um, and the flavor text is those that live here never grow old, but can never return to their homes again. Oh, this is very cool. Obviously, very flavorful. Yeah, very uh, flavorful. I can't, I can't. Indestructible is pretty good, but uh, you're gonna have to think of a new way to win. I mean, wait, hold on. Whenever a creature you control attacks, sacrifice it. Yeah, so they, they don't even get to deal combat damage. Oh, yeah, no, I, I think it's your, you're just going to have um, just a, a pillow fort deck. You're just, you know, playing creatures, building defenses. Actually, no, maybe, maybe just a normal deck. Maybe just like a Ritzcrats deck. You're just playing creatures, uh, just blocking, not attacking with them. Then once you have a big board, you play something like a, a Blood Artist or some poor Cutthroat, then attack with your board, and then win. Yeah, possibly, yeah. It's like, it's, it's it is actually a really interesting card because it's like, uh, quote unquote free sacrifice outlet when you when you wanted to do that all you have to do is attack with creatures yeah yeah so yeah I think that would be would be where you would want to play that kind of a card it would be in some like kind of deck with a lot of small cheap creatures maybe some like death touchers whatever uh, tokens would be good yeah and then if you give them indestructible then obviously they're just gonna block for days and uh, then if you have some some kind of ping or drain effect uh, when they die then uh, you're gonna you're gonna be able to close out the game with that. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly how uh, Oshin came home from Tirinog. He uh, got a whole load of um, 1-1 Goblin tokens and uh, sacrificed them all to his mate, Zillipore Cutthroat, who uh, introduced them to Neve Gwynor and uh, he killed the bad guys. Yep, the the classic Irish myth. Okay, and then what, what's what's our other card? Another Irish myth. Okay, our other card is Dun Coolinga, Bull of Cooley. So we heard all about the cattle raid from UL. And uh, this is one of the bulls. So it's a uh, three white white for a legendary creature beast. I can't believe there's no. Is there a cow creature type? Oh, I don't think so. Uh, hmm. Is there any any creatures that are actually like a bull? Maybe it is beast. I think I think there are. I think there are creatures that would be like a bull or a cow. But yeah, the, the, probably not. I guess beast would be the yeah. would be the type. Anyway, it's a five five. So five mana five five. Pretty good, but legendary. Uh, it says creatures your opponents control attack you if able. I think that should say attack you each turn or attack each turn if able. If able, yeah. Right, that's almost like was there what you say the body was? A five tree? Uh five five. Five five. Yeah, so it's 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 basically just like a one side of four wipe. Um actually no it's not no, it's like a No, not really. <laughs> it's like a, yeah, yeah, no, I was thinking of a box four and one thing. Uh 
Yeah, it's almost like a removal spell that happens every turn. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's good for racing. Uh, I, I would, uh, I would like to see this creature with a higher toughness than than power. I, I would prefer it to be a four six. I think so that it could like, oh yeah, kind of guaranteed yeah. eat a creature. Yeah. Five five is still pretty big. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it's sound. Yeah, it's like a Gideon, but a creature. Mm. Anyway, uh, thank you to Eamon for sending in those cards and that question. Uh, once again, you can email us in skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at skullcrack. Uh, you can send us any kind of stuff you want. You can send us some custom cards for Tala Time Warp if you so desire. You can send us in some questions to that we will gladly answer on the show or you can send us in some suggestions or tips for new players coming to Paper Magic from Arena. So I think that's going to do it for today. Uh, Kieran had to... Yes. Had to step out a little bit early, so that's going to be goodbye from me. Um, and before I say goodbye, there was a bull uh, in Coldstap. Bull Aurochs. It's a creature. Is a creature type is Aurochs. Nice. And on that note, oh, goodbye. Oh. <laughs> goodbye. A little bit. I know that um, at least one person loved our tournament reports as as a segment, and that was uh, Kev Fogarty. That's 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 good. So um, I'm sure he will uh, enjoy this one. Uh, I have one more tournament report to give. Um, is it, I know we gave one tournament reports uh, last week, but uh, this is one that we were, or, or last episode. But one I forgot to mention was GP Warsaw. Uh, GP Warsaw was a, um, a limited GP. It was uh, uh, Gil, oh sorry, yeah, Gil's Rapkit. Uh, I did not day two. I did not do well. Uh, we, we did get we did get get into ourselves into a crazy situation on um the night of on the last night on the Sunday night after day two. So yeah, so after day two, um, a bunch of us went to went to you know uh, a bar and a hotel. We played some commander, uh, had a few drinks. Uh, a few people went home. There's four of us left. You know, kind of winding down. Um, but then at the at the bar, uh, there's two two Russian guys came in, said hello to us. They had played uh you know the tournament. Um, so you see Russian guys. The first thing I noticed about them was that they were, they were dressed like in lounging gear. Their lounging gear was like a t-shirt and shorts, really short shorts. And it was very, very cold outside. Okay. One thing that kind of made me think, oh, this, this, is, this is kind of strange. So we said hello to them. They're at, they're at the bar. Uh, one of the guys, Connor, he was up at the bar talking to them uh, while we played you know, another game magic. So kind of, oh, uh, uh, Connor, he's a, he's a player from Cork. He's a, he's a great guy. He's great at, he, he's, he's great at just you know, starting conversations. He could, he could you know, as the phrase goes, uh, he, he could speak for Ireland. Uh, but little did he know Speaking for Ireland was literally what he was doing. Boom, boom, boom. Dramatic pause. Dun, dun, dun. So, so basically, we're playing magic. We overhear the conversation they're having. Uh, we just hear uh, Connor say something like, um, "Oh, so what's the story with the KGB like? Are they still going, or what's the crack with them?" And the Russian <laughs> guys are laughing. I was like, "God, oh, this is a this is a normal conversation to have with you know, two Russian guys." So, um, so basically, you know, after the starts, we all regroup. The four of us and these two Russian guys uh, were saying, "Oh, you know, maybe you know, we'll." Call it a night. Call it a night. And then the barman suggests that uh, we can stay in the lounge. He says he says to us that we can stay in the lounge and continue to drink uh, if we go to an off license across the road. Uh, and we obviously this is a fantastic idea. So the two Russian guys, because they're wearing short shorts, 
uh, they go upstairs, get changed, while we're kind of like almost hyper, you know, you know, the, it, <laughs> nothing quite matches the excitement of like a group of Irish lads who are facing the prospect of possibly just staying up all night drinking in, in a nice safe environment. So we're like, cans, 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 we're going to get cans. Nothing can, nothing can quench the excitement of us that we're going to go get cans. But then the barman comes over to us once the Russian guys are out of sight. The barman comes over to us and says, oh, just so you're aware, when you're speaking to those two Russian guys, they were recording the whole conversation. And we were like, what? And he said, yeah, they're recording it on, on their phone. They're recording the conversation that we're having. What? And then like the, yeah, just the mood just changed so abruptly. We went from like being really excited to being like, what the hell is happening? And then you know, Connor was saying, oh my God, I, I fucking knew those lads are KGB. It's like, oh, I shouldn't have mentioned, I shouldn't have mentioned Putin. I shouldn't have been talking about Putin. And then now we're kind of like, all right, lads, it's, it's okay. We could just go, you know, we, we, we can still have our guns. We can still, you know, meet these lads, have, have a drink. We just, just make sure we just keep the conversation uh you know nice and neutral you know we won't mention politics we won't mention trump we won't mention the wall we won't mention putin we'll just talk about magic we'll just have a nice lovely night so so the two guys come down um yeah so the, so the two guys come down we, we we go across the road to get our point get our get our um get our get our cans i think it was at this point uh i have on my phone here at 10 past one i send a, I send a text to our watch uh, just telling you guys that you know we're, we're having drinks with two people who may or may not be russian spies uh, I'm just letting you know, uh, so letting yourself and Kieran know uh, that I was not in any immediate danger, but if anything did happen to me as a result of this night, uh, you know, you know what happened. Um, uh, so, it's, so we got a drink, so we came down, sat down, so we got a drink, sat back down uh, in the lounge, and it was, we're, we're just having, having a laugh between uh, um, us. And also, it's very, the first thing straight away is the two Russian guys, they were very interested to know about like, what we did for a living. So we're kind of talking about our jobs and stuff, and they're asking about, they're asking about the, you know, um, the price of rent in Dublin, the price of rent in Ireland, uh, the healthcare system in Ireland, and like, like we're being friendly and answering the questions. But every time you ask one of these questions, in my head, I'm thinking, am I betraying my country if I answer this question? Like they're asking me about how how the means test works for health for, for healthcare in Ireland. Um, so there's two guys. One guy he had very good English. The other guy had like more broken English. There's a guy with the more broken English. Uh, he had a phone where he was typing in, presumably typing in, you know, uh, what he wanted to say in Russian. Um, yeah, he, like I had a translator on his phone. He he type in something he'd say in Russian, wanted to say in Russian. He press a button and it show us on the phone the question he had in, in English. Um, so he's kind of using this to, to communicate with us as well. Uh, but then at one point uh, he was writing a question in, and the other Russian guy said, "No, no, no, no don't, 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 don't ask that, don't ask that." Um, and then like because because we were a little bit aware of what's going on, we knew that they could be recording the conversation. Uh, we just said, "Oh no, what, what did he want to what did he want to show us? Uh, what, what did he want to ask us?" And then um, he's like, "Oh no, no, it it it, it doesn't it, it doesn't matter." And then we basically insisted that he showed us what he what he typed into his phone. Uh, the question he wanted to ask us, he wanted to know how much all of us earned a year, what our salaries were, which uh, seems like a very strange question to ask a group of strangers you just met. Hmm. Um, yeah, but maybe maybe it wasn't. Maybe, maybe it was just a general curiosity. So you know, it's we not a laughy, questions kind of, like that are not always like rude in every culture. Yeah, exactly. I, I think yeah, I, mean, I think it probably is more so in Ireland than in other countries. Um, but uh, we you know we gently slid that question aside and accepted it. And I continued on, continued on with the night. Um, so unfortunately, because of the volume of alcohol we were drinking, uh, I don't necessarily have an end to the story. Basically, we were just sitting down drinking, and all of a sudden I woke up and it was the next morning. Um, but for all intents and purposes, it seems a lot more likely that these two Russian guys are just recording a conversation because they wanted to get better at English. Um, and a little bit less likely that um, they were actually Russian spies. But, um, but maybe, but maybe, maybe they were. Maybe they've already used our information to infiltrate the country. Uh, maybe you, loyal listener, will tune in next week uh, and then you'll hear the podcast start off with uh, uh, You are listening to Skullcrack, Mother Russia's first and foremost magic gathering podcast. <laughs> um, and we will be replaced. 
<laughs> and hopefully they'll start doing deck of the week and tournament reports uh, instead of us <laughs> if that happens. All right. That was a wonderful final tournament report. Thank you, Al. Thank you. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye.